Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 27th of September, year of our Lord 2020. Decided to hop down and do a quick one. Weiss working on Halloween decorations. And I had enough information because, you know, let's be honest. A lot of subjects going on. They're repetitive, but at least it's not violence again. So we'll take it. And that intro, just perfect. Just perfect. That is from 2016. That is, of course... Biden calling troops dumb sons of a bitches. And I got to admit, that doesn't surprise me. You know, if that was a conservative president, you would have heard that. But you didn't. You never heard it. It's from 2016. But he is beloved by vets. That's, That's what they say, right? He's our guy. Everybody wants it. No, no, that's not what we actually want. We don't like Democrats because let's be honest, whenever we have a Democratic president, we get paid less and we even get drawdowns and then we get thrown into wars and then we're not ready for them. So I thought that was a perfect way to start the show and now we'll go into more vet stuff. This is the media dismissing a FBI. Because once again, we were told the FBI is to be believed. They're beyond reproach. No, they're not. Maybe they are. I don't know. It's so hard to tell what the media is on today. But the ballots, as we'll prove, were thrown in the garbage. This vote-in ballot shit. But especially Chuck Todd wasn't having it. Election staffers say they opened the ballots by mistake because the envelopes look similar to those used for absentee ballot requests. The president using the investigation to take aim at the process. So uh, we have to be very careful with the ballots. The ballots, that's a whole big scam. The announcement of a federal investigation with partial details this close to an election is in and of itself unusual, but so far that investigation is indicating that this was a single isolated mistake and not the kind of widespread fraud the president sometimes talks about. We now know that we have a Department of Justice investigation into ballots that were discarded uh, from veterans uh, in Pennsylvania. That's very troubling. Anyone who sends in a ballot to find them discarded. Uh, What we want to make sure is that Every vote counts. The case in Pennsylvania you referred to involves just nine ballots. And according to the Department of Justice, they did not specify any particular crime or allege any wrongdoing at this point. Well, to suggest that uh, an investigation that just got uh, uh, going in the last 24 hours has not found any wrongdoing would be a rush to judgment that you wouldn't want to make, I wouldn't want to make. Uh, they found uh, six ballots in an office 
yesterday in a garbage can. There were Trump ballots, eight ballots, in an office yesterday in, in a certain state. And uh, they were they had Trump written on it, and they were thrown in a garbage can. Look, we followed up. We tried to see this evidence. What the president claimed there was alarming, wasn't it? We should note, when we asked the White House for information to back up this claim about Trump votes being thrown in the trash, they sent us a report that did not back up his claims one bit. He's making this up, folks. He's gaslighting the country. Let's talk about another thing in Pennsylvania, and that's these nine discarded ballots. It sounds like they were military ballots that people might have thought were mail-in ballots. When they figured out they were military ballots, they threw them out. There are nine. That hardly suggests any sort of widespread problem whatsoever. However, the Department of Justice felt compelled to get involved and issue a press release about this. So what does that tell us? You know, it's really stunning to me that the press, that the DOJ issued a press release. It's obviously not policy for the DOJ to comment on investigations that are still pending. And so that was, that was a striking thing for them to do. And given that they identified how these ballots were cast, um, which is very much not in line with America's history of maintaining secrecy in ballots and is in fact the exact reason why Pennsylvania's secret ballot envelopes, inner envelopes are being litigated right now. Um, you know, it was just a really stunning announcement that kind of smacked of partisanship, the exact kind of partisanship out of the DOJ that, you know, the media and, and Democrats have really been concerned about this entire season. Um, and so what we don't know is what discarded even means. So it said that the ballots were discarded. We're really not clear as to what that meant or, or how the ballots ended up where they did or why. Um, it's clear from Pennsylvania officials that these were mistaken for something that they weren't. It was a very small number of ballots. And then also, this county went overwhelmingly for Trump in 2016, so that most of the ballots, you know, they, they're aware of who was whose name was on seven of the nine ballots, and that seven of those nine ballots were cast for Donald Trump is not that surprising. So there's really nothing about this that would suggest a larger problem. It is certainly true that these nine ballots should be investigated, and what happened to them should be figured out, because every vote does does count and these nine ballots will matter, um, but it does not suggest an overwhelming problem um, as if, which Trump's campaign yesterday tried to play it off mm -hmm. as. And I just don't think that there's any evidence of that. that. That's really helpful because I think that that's the upshot of all this. Yes, there are these hiccups. People are desperately trying to iron them out over, you know, the next 40 days. But on a large scale, we are being assured by election officials everywhere that they are going to get this right. Yeah, the problem is these are liberal sources. Three trays of mail, including absentee ballots, found in Wisconsin ditch. Three trays of mail, which already alleged uh, included absentee ballots, were found in Wisconsin ditch. And police are now investigating how the mail ended up there. The mail was found at 8 a.m. Tuesday morning, a highway intersection of Greenville, and was quickly brought to the United States Postal Service. The U.S. Postal Inspector Service is investigating the matter. Next, Newsweek in Luzerne County, PA, where ballots went to Obama. Then Trump, FBI finds discarded military ballots cast for Trump. FBI investigation found the number of discarded mail-in ballots from a county in Pennsylvania were cast for Donald Trump. U.S. Attorney David Freed announced on Thursday a small number of military ballots were discarded. On money investigation was open to potential use of the small thing. And then you go to the Hill on their site. How to vote absentee and make it count 
was the first thing I saw. Then I saw seven military ballots cast for Trump found discarded in Pennsylvania. So is it made up, Chuck Todd? I'm just asking for a friend. Because it doesn't sound like it's made up. Greg County official arrested, charged with election fraud. The Greg County Commissioner and three others arrested Thursday in election fraud. Charges stemming to the 2018 Democratic primary. Grand jury on Wednesday indicted Commissioner Shannon Brown of 23 felonies, including election fraud. And it was the same thing. Chucking votes they didn't want. The votes they don't want go away. And simultaneous Axios, which is turning into an actual media source. Democrats pivot to promoting in-person voting from the article. The highest qualification rate for absentee ballots poses a special peril for Democrats. Could also be they're getting caught stealing and throwing elected, you know, shit out. I mean, could be. I don't know. But it's all fake. I mean, let's be honest. We're going to play... A crowd destroying a CNN live take with CNN's fake news, followed by a segment they were trying to do to show that nobody wants to vote for Trump. Who the fuck would want to vote for Trump? And the Allison Camerata's face is just priceless, as these people say. Yeah, he's got my vote. I want to bring in our Supreme Court correspondent reporter, Ariane DeVogue, first. Ariane, we heard the president say she will decide cases based on the Constitution as written. And then we heard Judge Coney Barrett as saying she will, she, the law must be applied as written. So explain to our viewers what's behind those specific words, uh, where she's coming from, and what we would anticipate if she does become a justice on the Supreme Court over the next 30 or 40 years. Right, Wolf, absolutely. I just wanted to say that while we were here, um, the crowd behind us, Trump supporters, started chanting Ariana, I want you to stand by. We can barely hear what you're saying because of the, the crowd behind you. If you have a handheld mic, maybe we can, we'll can. we be able to appreciate what you're saying. Stand by for a moment. I think the president is making every effort uh, to do his best for people of color and people that are not of color. We can help the current president um, make things better for all of us. So I just think that the president is bringing us together because... You know, I go to his events and when I go to those events, I feel comfortable. I don't feel threatened. And, and, and basically what he's saying is that, you know, let's make our country that we all live in great. And that's including everyone. I think he's doing a, a phenomenal job and um, I'm, he has my vote. Absolutely. Narrative. It's all narrative. Uh, the tweet that sent it, voters tell CNN why they're supporting President Trump. The president is making every effort to do his best for people of color. The president is bringing us together. He's doing a phenomenal job, and he has my vote. CNN is dis- disappointed. The blonde anchor looks like she's able, about to be sick of all the POTUS praising. Life's tough. She needs to get a helmet. <laughs> then Bethany Mandel. 
I have, I'm having 2016 flashbacks, and I'm not sure why Democrats aren't. Justin Gomez, Biden campaign calls a lid from 9.20 a.m. today. Harris also has no public events on her schedule. Meanwhile, Trump has events in four different places. You've tried the strategy already. I'm not Donald Trump. Didn't work for you four years ago. This is what happens when you spend years pretending that people voted for him because of phantom Russian conspiracy instead of accepting that he won a legitimate election. I know what the polls are saying, but I also know what they said last time, too. I also know that when I drive around suburban Maryland, I see almost no Biden signs. And when I drive into rural VA, I see wall-to-wall Trump signs. Almost every single R-leaning friend who didn't vote for Trump last time is planning on voting for him this time without any apprehensions. Every single friend who voted for him last time is pulling the lever for him again quite enthusiastically. Almost none say it publicly. Perhaps the best representation of how poorly they campaign when the HRC spent election night signing these covers and up to the wire Trump was campaigning in Wisconsin. Newsweek recalls 125,000 copies of a souvenir Madam President issue. David Riboli, you should see South Florida. Democrat Boca Raton, for example, is Trump signs. Something interesting happening even in L.A., virtually no Biden sign, but a lots of American flags popping up, which seem to be subtle Trump support. And then you get new AP poll on support for racial injustice. An AP NORC poll, support for racial injustice protests, decline. As a decision in Kentucky to bring charges against only one of the three officers involved in the raid, the poll from the Associated Press finds only 45% of Americans disprove a protest in response to police violence against black Americans, while 39% approve. It was 54% in June. 54 approved because it's coming down to it's people are researching people are looking in to find out hey you know what the fuck dude none of this is true it's all just made up to scare people and to get people to vote And normals are saying, okay, I got it. You're not happy, but why do you got to keep burning everything the fuck down when you get unhappy? I'm unhappy. I mean, let's be honest. I was talking to a person the other day in uh, the line, and he, he literally said, you know, I got sick of the lockdowns, but... I didn't go out and burn shit. And he was right. Then on top, huge stuff coming through. Didn't cover it last time. Kind of sat on this stuff. But the networks are punting on this FBI revelation. And we won't. Here's what is now public. Because the Attorney General wanted it public. August 11, 2016. This exchange between FBI agents. Quote, doing all this election research. I think some of these guys want a Clinton presidency instead of a wild card like Trump. Next, January 5th, 2017. We all went and purchased professional liability insurance. Yeah, the whole thing is pretty ugly. We shall see how this pans out, how things pan out. We know what happened. Comey gets fired. The president gets Mueller. Your reaction to this revelation? Molly. Molly. Well, these 
Yeah, thanks. These are stunning revelations and texts from these FBI agents. We'd always heard that the Trump-Russia probe itself was an insurance policy in the case that Trump won, but these showed that they actually purchased insurance for themselves because they were so worried about getting caught if a new attorney general came in who had oversight. But these texts show that there was never any case whatsoever against Mike Flynn, that agents were concerned about how that case had been opened and handled, that they closed it on election day, but then reopened it uh, following a January 5th meeting with Obama and Biden in the White House. The primary source of the controversial Steele dossier previously was investigated by the FBI for Russian contacts. This according to information released by the Attorney General. Bill Barr in a new letter to Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Lindsey Graham. Newly declassified information shows former British spy Christopher Steele relied on a source that had, quote, documented contacts with suspected Russian intelligence official for his 2016 anti-Trump dossier. Brian, you know, all of this we knew already. It's more information about the Steele dossier and its subsource. But we already knew that in January of 2017, the FBI knew that the subsource made it all up, that it was hearsay. They used that dossier to get a warrant to spy on the Trump campaign. It's all coming out. Sean Davis, on 3, uh, on 3 January 2017, Trump tweeted the FBI was delaying its briefing for him to buy time to cook up evidence against him. Two days later, as Obama and Comey went, met in the White House to go over their plans to take out Flynn, one FBI agent texted, Trump was right. We all went and purchased professional liability insurance. One agent texted on January 10th, the same day CNN leaked details that then-President-elect Trump had been briefed by Comey about the bogus dossier. That briefing of Trump was used to pretext to legitimize the debunked dossier, which was funded by the Democratic National Committee and the Clinton campaign and compiled by a foreign officer who worked for a Russian oligarch. Holy crap, an agent responded. All an analyst, too? Yep, all the folks at the agency, well, as well. And then there was a text about Crossfire Razor, the investigation into Flynn. New disclosure made by DOJ also showed that FBI used so-called national security letters to spy on Flynn. Decision to NSL finance from Razor brought him time, one agent said, nearly two weeks after the initial order shut down the case. We do, what do we expect to get from NSL, an agent texted. We put out traces, tripwires to community and nothing. Bingo, the FBI agent responded. So what's an NSL going to do? No content. Ha ha, this is a nightmare. Techno fog. New Flynn doc. So glad they're closing Razor. Disagreement to get Flynn financials. We didn't find anything. This investigates the nightmare after Obama White House meeting. FBI analysts discuss getting professional insurance. Got to be someone on the White House staff. Presidential daily briefing or White House senior officials. Sork notes on Flynn Intel Group. FARA issued Flynn Intel Group satisfies the registration obligation. No evidence of willfulness to violate laws. Discussion of the investigation of Flynn. We put our traces, tripwire, the community, and nothing. Bingo. So what's an NSL going to do? The Flynn defense memo include the following exhibits. Notes from Sork and McCabe. FBI analyst message. More Zoak page test. Read it all here. I have to admit this is a big fat setup, but Obama was on the top of the food chain. It's going to be my favorite part, watching the coup plotters' entire crep operation crumbling in the public eye for all to see, for what they've done to so many countless lives. And nothing will come of it, somebody says, because the Dems can do whatever they want without repercussions. Tucker Carlson.
was tweeted by this person. More text messages released tonight, more evidence that the Michael Flynn prosecution was politically motivated. In August of 2016, one of the FBI analysts working on the Flynn case texted this, quote, doing all the selection research, I think some of these guys want a Clinton presidency. <laughs> yeah, you think? Later, another FBI employee wrote this, quote, Trump was right. What is wrong with these people? The probe was so obviously corrupt that FBI officials discussed getting, quote, professional liability insurance to protect them from the consequences of the corruption. Separately, Fox News has learned today that the primary source of the anti-Trump steel dossier published by BuzzFeed was under an FBI investigation as a possible national security threat for suspected contact with Russian intelligence officers. <laughs> the irony. It's, it's just unbelievable. Sean Davis has been parsing these details for years now. He's co-founder of The Federalist, and he joins us tonight to sort them out. Sean, thanks for joining us. What have we learned today? Wow, we've learned a lot today. The first is that the corruption at the FBI and how they conducted their anti-Trump jihad was so bad that FBI agents were purchasing for themselves, using your money and my money, by the way, uh, as taxpayers, purchasing liability insurance uh, for when people finally found out how corrupt uh, their activities were. We also learned that the original case against Flynn, the investigation, was closed on Election Day. Uh, they were ordered to close it on Election Day 2016 and only open it up afterwards, uh, it, which is just shocking. And in these texts, we also learned uh, from these agents who remain unnamed, unfortunately, that they found nothing on Flynn. They even used uh, national security letters to avoid subpoenas in order to get to his financial records. And they said there's nothing there. And in fact, the guy who was running the whole thing, who's also unnamed, uh, was obsessed with rabbit holes and conspiracy theories, and his scope was absolutely beyond logic. So this Kimberly Strassel breaking Pearl Heritage and extraordinarily so Christopher Steele, main source of the dossier, he was the subject of a nearly two-year-long FBI counter-intel investigation under suspicion of being a Russian spy. Early in Obama admin, subsource reportedly attempted to recruit two individuals connected to influential foreign policy advisor Obama, said they got jobs they administration access to classified information. FBI says he had a previous contact with Russian embassy. And this goes on and on. It's all, it's all bullshit. The whole thing was bullshit. It was all a setup. Techno fog. The Flynn um, update. Interview 302 from Agent William Barnett believed the prosecution of Flynn by SCO team Mueller was used as a means to get Trump. Agent Barrett was assigned a crossfire razor. Barnett was later assigned to the special counsel team. Barnett, the prediction of the Flynn investigation was not great. Um, FBI assessed this information not to be accurate. The Flynn razor investigation lingered. Leadership didn't ask Barrett to do much on it. FBI agent Barnett, Barnett or Barnett didn't see the point of Flynn investigation. Another agent thought it was an exercise of utility. As the investigation wound down, Barnett suggested interviewing Flynn and closing the case. The request of the interview was denied. There was nothing left to do in the case. Late December 2016, Zork orders Flynn to case closed. Zork tells Barnett to keep it open. The Flynn case wasn't kept open for the broader Russian investigation. It was due to a Logan Act violation with Barnett that was thought was questionable. Agent Barnett, the Flynn case was top-down, meaning direction concerning the investigation was coming from senior officials. The intensity of the FBI leadership Flynn investigation was spurred by the leak of the Kaliskiak call. Blah, blah, blah. Barnett briefed special counsel and Ree on Flynn case. He told Ree there was no evidence of a crime. Barnett believed Ree had an agenda and told her 
they wouldn't be working together. A dig at Andrew Weissman. Weissman was convinced there was a proof, proof of collusion, quid pro quo, from the meeting on a yacht near Greece within a day or two, the information was not substantiated. This was a DOG submission to the court. You can read the full on Barnett Interview 302. Once again, all of it is horseshit. It's always horseshit. It's been horseshit. And the reason why I bring it up is that, let's be honest, if Trump did any of this, my God, what would the reaction be? It would be excessive. So as we go out to narrative, because once again, trying to keep the podcast shorter, I got to do two things. One, Camelia Harris says Tupac's the best rapper alive. I want to throw it out there. I'm a white guy. I don't listen to rap music. Tupac's dead. I watched a documentary on it. So I'm pretty sure it's true. And Gail King had the audacity to call out Nancy Pelosi, which is so rare. So as we go out to narrative, that's our listening assignment. Gail King, and we'll come into the media losing their shit because officially she's called ACB. Amy Connie Barrett. They're selling t-shirts. So like RGB, which I think whoever thought this up is a brilliant, brilliant person. I just want you to know I find you to be brilliant because why not? The left idolizes everybody so why shouldn't the right but madam speaker they always say he who has the votes has the power wouldn't don't you think the democrats would do the same thing if the situation was reversed no you no, do not that is absolutely not true you don't and this is totally completely inappropriate well you had said last week that you have arrows in your quiver do you still have arrows in your quiver at this point the clock is really ticking here Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reid. When the media becomes part of one party, no longer have news, we have narrative.
President Trump saying that this confirmation process could be easier than the Senate think. It is already shaping up to be a fierce battle, an unprecedented battle, just over five weeks before Election Day. No Supreme Court justice has ever been confirmed this close to an election in an election year. And, of course, four years ago, Republicans refused to even give a hearing to President Obama's choice for the Supreme Court vacancy of Justice Scalia uh, when he died in February of 2000. 16. I want to bring in Mary Bruce, our senior congressional correspondent. A chorus of praise already from Senate Republicans, criticism from Democrats, including Joe Biden, who's said that just Judge Barry could be a threat to the Affordable Care Act, also says it shouldn't even be voted on until after the election. And several Democratic senators saying this is an illegitimate sham process. George, it is clear already from the initial statements rolling in why this is going to be such a bitter partisan fight. Now, to be clear, what the president says about mail-in voting is simply untrue. It's a lie. But he is brazenly transparent about his strategy right now. Trump campaign lawyers are furiously mounting legal challenges to new pandemic voting rules all across the country. And the president makes clear he not only wants a new Supreme Court justice confirmed before the November election, but that he expects that justice to side with him when there are election challenges. I think it's very important that we have nine justices. I think it's better if you go before the election because I think this this scam that the Democrats are pulling, it's a scam. The scam will be before the United States Supreme Court. And I think having a 4-4 situation is not a good situation. Again, there's no evidence of a Democratic scam. Uh, let people fight out the election and all that. But but you're, help me as an expert in the law. Uh, are there not rules now if you are soon to be justice, perhaps Amy Coney Barrett or whoever the president picks. And he publicly and repeatedly says one reason to get this justice confirmed is to get her vote on the Supreme Court for inevitable post-election challenges. Does that justice not have a responsibility to recuse herself? Each justice makes the determination for him or herself whether they need to recuse in a case, John. So... Uh, it may put a burden on whoever is is the pick, but it's not going to be a requirement. There certainly will be a lot of debate. President Trump has now nominated uh, Amy Coney Barrett to be the next uh, U.S. Supreme Court justice, succeeding the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, Jeffrey Tubin, we, we're getting a statement in uh, from the Democratic presidential uh, nominee, uh, Joe Biden. Um, among other things, he says this, and I'll read it to you and to our viewers. Today, President Trump has nominated Judge Amy Coney Barrett as the successor to Justice Ginsburg's seat. She has written, she has a written track record of disagreeing with the U.S. Supreme Court's decision upholding the Affordable Care Act. She critiqued Chief Justice John Roberts' majority opinion upholding the law in 2012. Uh, uh, Biden adds, the American people know the U.S. Supreme Court decisions affect their everyday lives. The United States Constitution was designed to give the voters one chance to have their voice heard on who serves on the court. That moment is now and their voice should be heard. The Senate should not act on this vacancy until after the American people select their next president and the next Congress. Uh, that's from Biden, uh, Jeffrey. But it looks like the Republicans, they have the majority in the Senate. Uh, they're going to disobey that wish from Biden. Uh, that's for sure. And, you know, one person who was not thanked during uh, the uh, during this ceremony was was one of the people who was most responsible for Amy Comey Barrett being uh, nominated to the Supreme Court. And that's Senator Dianne Feinstein, 
who in 2017, when uh, she was the ranking Democrat on the committee, engaged in questioning of, of now Judge Barrett that was so incompetent, so inept, so apparently religiously discriminatory that Amy Coney Barrett became a hero to religious conservatives. You know, Dianne Feinstein was and is a distinguished public servant who has served for many years on the Supreme Court. She is now 87 years old, and she has repeatedly engaged in behavior in recent months that seem out of step with uh, what Democrats want to do. And you know, she is going to be the leader of the Democratic forces uh, on the Judiciary Committee. And all I can say is good luck with that, Democrats. Well, she's the ranking Democrat on the Judiciary Committee. So, so explain what you're saying. You, you want her to, to recuse herself from all of this, give that responsibility it, it, of being the top Democrat on the Judiciary Committee to someone else? Yeah, she can leave the committee. She could become. Uh, she could go to the Intelligence Committee. You know, this this is not some joke. I mean, the commit the these committee assignments are done largely by seniority. Republicans don't do it entirely by seniority. They pick people, uh, particularly in the House, based on who they think will do the best job. Democrats operate on the basis of seniority. So, eighty-seven-year-old. Um, uh, Diane Feinstein is going to be the leader of the Democratic forces on, on, on this nomination. That's not like set in the Constitution. That could be moved. I mean, she could move off that committee. But her incredibly inept uh, behavior during Comey Bar- during Judge Barrett's confirmation hearing had an enormous consequence that that helped the forces that Diane Feinstein has spent her entire career fighting against. I mean, that's just yeah. what happened. Democrats have to decide if they want that to happen again in the Supreme Court confirmation here. And she did have bipartisan support in her confirmation for the Seventh the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, Glory. I do think it is doable by Congress uh, and the traditional congressional power to regulate interstate commerce is exceptionally broad. And, you know, if Congress were to say uh, that no state sh- can interfere with the right of a woman uh, in consultation with her doctor to procure uh, a financial, essentially a financial transaction to terminate that pregnancy. I don't see how that wouldn't fit comfortably, particularly if it were worded uh, carefully uh, and cautiously. I don't see how it wouldn't fit comfortably within the Supreme Court's Commerce Clause jurisprudence. Now, would uh, six justices be faithful to that jurisprudence? You know, uh, that's anybody's guess. But I think uh, I think Congress, under the court's precedence, has a lot of leeway to pass on a national, a national abortion rights uh, uh, protection statute uh, that would not, of course, solve the many other problems that liberals and progressives have with the Supreme Court becoming dominated by conservative appointees. But I do think the national abortion issue is addressable if uh, pro-choice legislators were in control of both houses of Congress. So it's not necessarily an argument that it's a woman's body and she has the right to do 
what she wants with that body. You're, you're talking about writing this into, into law by using something that, that doesn't necessarily come to top of mind, which is the commerce clause and saying that this is about uh, transactions and I guess using equipment that you buy over um, interstate lines that you transport and they can't get involved in it. That's a, that's a really um, complicated and potentially convoluted way to get this done. Is it possible with Congress for them to do that? Actually, I think it's the simplest way to get this done, which is why I mentioned that theory. <laughs> Look, for a lot of people, and I, I, I recognize that for people who aren't steeped in constitutional law, the theory that I just laid out is pretty silly sounding. Um, and it seems much more sensible to say, hey, uh, uh, Congress legislates a right to choose a la what Roe v. Wade said, uh, you know, many years ago. Um, the the problem with that is that it, it, if that if the Supreme Court were to hold that that right does not exist, it's not clear where the authority yeah. for Congress comes to legislate it. Whereas Congress has an undoubted power to regulate commercial transactions and commerce in general, and so this is actually, I think, a cleaner way to do what amounts to the same thing. I should add, this would be contingent on Democrats keeping the House, retaking the Senate, and winning the presidency. Ben Wittes, and thank you so much for joining us. And, and on top of that as well, um, thanks for the thought experiment. I found it to be very interesting um, and a potential workaround for Democrats if they uh, want to pursue it. The president nominating Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court, an accomplished judge with conservative credentials. From President Trump, a move to cement a more conservative Supreme Court for a generation. Unlike Ginsburg, Barrett is a committed conservative. The federal appeals court judge, well-liked by the president, key Republicans, and many on the religious right. Her Catholic faith, a core value, and central to questions about how she'd rule on issues like abortion. Barrett's nomination, instantly controversial, in part for its timing. Democrats working to cast the process as illegitimate. Three Supreme Court justices, a record reshaping the federal judiciary and tilting the high court to the right with a 6-3 to conservative majority for years. And there's the honor guard waiting to escort the casket of the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Jo- Joan Biskupic, uh, you've covered the court. You've covered Ginsburg. I wonder if you could tell us the change that the court is about to experience as a result of her passing. And we should note the president has said tomorrow he's going to announce his nominee to replace her. And the senator said they will vote on that nominee. We really can't overstate the transformation that's about to happen. We've already had a very conservative court, a 5-4 conservative court. It's about to go 6-3 conservative. And the equality rights that Ruth Bader Ginsburg fought for are just one of many, many types of rights and liberties that are now in the balance in a much more serious way. Uh, And she, uh, you know, when she started, uh, Jim, she was a much more measured jurist. Uh, She was, she herself was more of an incrementalist uh, from her time on a lower court. But through the years on the Supreme Court, as it became more conservative in the majority, she moved to the left and certainly had inspired the, the total of four justices 
who are, were still liberals on this court, and now there will only be three. And the, the contrast between a Donald Trump successor to Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, really takes us back to, you know, at, at minimum, when Clarence Thomas succeeded another civil rights icon, Thurgood Marshall. So, uh, so much ahead from yeah. immediately with the election uh, to, you know, gun rights, civil rights, everything. I got to admit, I I wanted to start, well, I'm going to start. These people are are just garbage. They're garbage because, well, I'll just read one thing. Who is Amy Coney Barrett, Trump's nominee? A federal apparent judge is a favorite of the religious right. A favorite of the religious right and former law clerk to Scalia, who judicial record is fairly thin, owing to the fact that she's only been judged by years, but that short record suggests she'll be reliable conservative and confirmed Supreme Court. Before joining the federal bench, Barrett was a law professor at the University of Notre Dame, and she frequently weighed in on many of the cultural fights that animated religious conservatism, because that's something bad, I guess. It's not anti-Catholic. It's an article. It's not anti-Catholic to ask Amy Coney Barrett about a religious group People of praise. So that's the new thing. And I'm I'm not gonna read it. I won't. Joy Reed. Turns out Republicans do have a platform. The Handmaid's Tale. Totally been debunked. Not even true. It's made up. We covered it. Molly Hemingway, media prepare for the major role in the Democratic Party of attempting to destroy a nominee, her life, her family with vengeance, and her faith. Not even pretending otherwise for a moment. Megan Kelly, so we're all okay with open, bigoted attack on Catholics. Britt Humes, quote, to be absolutely clear, People of Praise is not an inspiration or handmaid's tale, and the group does not practice sexual slavery or any kinds of other dystopian practices Atwood wrote about in her novel. So, before I play the ugly, here's just a quick montage of how they covered liberal nominations. Today, President Obama praised his pick to replace Justice John Paul Stevens, Solicitor General Elena Kagan. The president said she'll bring excellence, independence, integrity, and passion to the Supreme Court. But what she doesn't bring is experience on the bench. The last nominees confirmed with no judicial track record were William Rehnquist and Lewis Powell, both in 1972, and both enjoyed long and productive tenures on the high court. Having written no previous opinions just makes the confirmation process more important for both liberals and conservatives who want to learn more about her legal philosophy. Elena Kagan wrote in a 1995 book review that the confirmation process had become, quote, a vapid and hollow charade, and nominees should have to answer direct questions about legal cases. Look for GOP senators to use her own words in those hearings as the first female solicitor general gets the third degree. That's a page from my notebook. I'm Katie Couric, CBS News. CBS News has learned that the president plans to announce his nominee for the Supreme Court tomorrow. Topping the speculation are our Solicitor General, Alina Kagan, and Federal Appeals Court Judges Merrick Garland, Diane Wood, and Sidney Thomas. And joining us from Washington with a look ahead is our chief legal correspondent, Jan Crawford. Jan, good evening. Good evening, Russ. We mentioned four names on that list and beyond who appears to be the frontrunner at this point. 
Well, tonight and from the very beginning, the front runner has been Solicitor General Elena Kagan. The White House has always been impressed with her. She was on the short list last year when the president instead tapped Sonia Sotomayor. So she is the one, I think, to beat. She's the one that this was to lose. She's got youth on her side. She's 50 years old. And there are many people in the administration who think she would be a very effective voice on that Supreme Court. A lot of people know General Kagan as the former dean of the Harvard Law School. What else can you tell us about her? Well, she was also a professor at the University of Chicago. That's where she started her career. In fact, she was a professor of mine. She's a great teacher. She's very engaged. And you see some of those qualities that when she argues the cases of the United States before the Supreme Court. So that's why, as I said, the White House thinks she would be very effective. For example, when she was at Harvard, she brought a lot of young conservatives onto the faculty and, and helped build coalitions and soothe tensions there. Remember, the Supreme Court is a group of nine. So you've really got to be able to get along. And Jan, of course, General Kagan was confirmed just last year by the Senate for her current post. Does that necessarily mean it would be smooth sailing in the Senate this time if she, in fact, is picked uh, by the president? No, it doesn't, Russ. And I mean, I think that we will see a fight no matter who the White House puts up for this spot. But the Republicans will not be able to defeat her based on what we know now. My sources say there will not be a Republican filibuster. But that, you know, saying that there still will be a fight. Republicans are going to use this to, to show the court should be a, a more narrow role in society. And they're really going to try to present their views of what a justice should be doing. Chief legal correspondent Jan Crawford, as always, thank you very much. Thanks, Russ. President Obama made the announcement at the White House. I have decided to nominate an inspiring woman who I believe will make a great justice, Judge Sonia Sotomayor of the great state of New York. It was an emotional moment for a woman who has served as a federal judge since 1992. You have nominated me to serve on the country's highest court, and I am deeply moved. Judge Sotomayor is the daughter of parents from Puerto Rico and the product of humble roots in New York City. Supporters highlight an impressive legal background. Ramona Romero is the national president of the Hispanic National Bar Association. She graduated summa cum laude from Princeton. She was on the Yale Law Review. She has served on the federal bench for the last 16 years or so. Um, on the appellate bench, I would say that based on her credentials, she's an entirely viable nominee. Beyond her impressive credentials, President Obama says Judge Sotomayor will bring her life experiences to the court. She has never forgotten where she began, never lost touch with the community that supported her. What Sonia will bring to the court then is not only the knowledge and experience acquired over a course of a brilliant legal career, but the wisdom accumulated from an inspiring life's journey. Judge Sotomayor says she's guided by the rule of law as the foundation of all basic rights. But she also says she's mindful of the impact of her decisions on real people. I strive never to forget the real-world consequences of my decisions on individuals, businesses, and government. Next up are confirmation hearings in the Senate, where it's unclear to what extent opposition Republicans will try to block her nomination. The next Supreme Court term begins in October, and President Obama wants her confirmed by that time. If confirmed, Sotomayor would join Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, becoming the second woman on the current Supreme Court.
Jim Malone, VOA News, Washington. There was a passionate uh, dissent, uh, obviously from Sonia Sotomayor. But one justice was so passionate in opposition, passionate about discrimination. Sotomayor issued an impassioned dissent. The ruling produced an impassioned 58-page dissent. But in a passionate dissent. It was an impassioned and lengthy summary. Stirred up a passionate dissent from one of the justices. S Sonia Sotomayor wrote a very impassioned 58-page dissent to that ruling. It's a very passionate defense, uh, dissent, as you note, from Justice Sotomayor. What you heard from Sotomayor in that impassioned, uh, long, as you point out, dissent. That, despite one justice's impassioned dissent, a very impassioned minority opinion written by Justice Sotomayor. Elena Kagan here congratulating retiring Justice John Paul Stevens on his long and distinguished career. If you ever argue before the Supreme Court, beware. Underlying Justice Stevens' extraordinary politeness, extraordinary courtesy, danger awaits. Now the Solicitor General could fill the very seat Justice Stevens is vacating at the end of this term. Thank you, Justice Stevens. A 50-year-old New York City native, Kagan is a former dean of Harvard Law School, where she also received her law degree. She worked in the Clinton White House and is currently the federal government's top lawyer before the Supreme Court. She's argued six cases herself since taking over the job in 2009. During confirmation hearings for that position, some senators were skeptical Kagan had the necessary experience because she's never been a judge and had at that point never argued a case before the Supreme Court or any court for that matter. How are you going to handle that and how are you going to prepare yourself? I, I'm very confident that I'm up to this part of the job as I am to all the many other parts. I think I bring up a lifetime of learning and study uh, of the law and particularly of the constitutional and administrative law issues that form the, the core of the court's docket. I think I bring up some of the communication skills that have made me, I'm just going to say, a, a famously excellent teacher. Um, uh, <laughs> Also in Washington, our CBS News chief legal correspondent, Jan Crawford, and Bob Schieffer, chief Washington correspondent and host of Face the Nation. Good morning, all. Hello. Morning. Jan, let me start with you. Why Elena Kagan? Well, at the end of the day, she gave the White House everything that they wanted. She's progressive, even though some people say she may be moderate, but she is a progressive. And she will be a leader on that court. She can build coalitions, bring consensus together, and she's 50 years old. So that, combined with the fact that she's not going to be a huge fight, is what tipped the balance to her at the end of the day. It's so interesting. No real paper trail, no judicial record to, to, to speak of. I, as, as I was culling through her information, it seemed to me she was almost as valued for her EQ as her IQ, her ability <laughs> to get along with other people. Well, she actually has both. I mean, I've known her for a long time. She was a professor of mine at the University of Chicago Law School, and she's very engaging, very challenging. Uh, she's quite dynamic in her personality, and you see that when she's arguing cases before the Supreme Court. The justices really like her. You should see Justice Scalia, obviously a conservative, mm -hmm. and Kagan going back and forth. So the White House sees that as a real plus, and they expect her to be a very effective jurist on that court. Isn't it ironic, though, that here's the President of the United States during his State of the Union address, specifically 
uh, uh, chastises the court for its decision on campaign uh, finance reform and allowing corporations to uh, put as much money in campaigns as, as, as they want. And the person who argued against that was Elena Kagan. Right. I mean, she defended that law, and you're going to hear that over and over and over in these hearings. As she defended that law, she was on the side of everyday Americans. The problem for her, though, and why this doesn't quite fit, is that she's not really an everyday American. She's Upper West Side, New York, Princeton, Harvard, Oxford. Uh, so, you know, she is part of that elite academic world. Uh, then Republicans this morning already are hammering her as a true, you know, Washington insider. Mm -hmm. Bob Schieffer, as this uh, bubbles up today and people really start to chime in, People talk about her being confirmable, and she was just confirmed as Solicitor General, 6131. What kind of fight do you think will ensue over the next couple of months? A really bitter and vicious one. Um, I would start by saying, uh, Harry, I think she is eminently uh, qualified, but we're in an election year, an especially toxic election year. Mm. Uh, just uh, this weekend, you saw the very conservative uh, Bob Bennett, uh, the senator from Utah, lose the Republican nomination because uh, members of the uh, to the right of the party, a lot of Tea Party people thought that he was not conservative enough. Mm. I think you will see some Republican senators, moderates, giving very careful consideration uh, to their uh, vote uh, on Elena Kagan. In a way, a uh, vote against her would be kind of Tea Party insurance uh, mm -hmm. to let people know that uh, they're moving to the right. The Republican Party is moving very far to the right. So I think this is going to be, she may be confirmed in the end, I think she probably will, mm -hmm. but this is going to be a very, very difficult election year right. uh, argument on Capitol Hill. Because there was another candidate who is viewed as being more centrist, as being uh, confirmable in the long run if, for instance, there is a, a loss of uh, Democratic uh, votes in the Senate in the future. The president clearly decided, I've, this is the card, my best card to play at this time. You think it's going to be rancorous, though? Uh, I think it will. I mean, you're talking about Merrick Garland. I right. think most people thought that he would have been the, he's an appeals court judge, thought that he would be the most easily confirmed. The president chose not to go that way. I think the second most easily confirmed was probably Kagan, but that doesn't mean it's not going to be a, a really drawn out and, and, and a tough fight. Republicans are going to give very careful consideration to whether they vote for her or not, just right. because, not because of her, right. but because of, of the situation in this election. Election year. And as young as she is and being around for a long time. Bob Schieffer, mm -hmm. thank you very much. Jan Crawford, appreciate your expertise. Thank you. Thanks. A lot happens early on The Early Show, weekday mornings on CBS. That took me like two hours just to find anything. I had to search YouTube because nobody keeps those 10 year old sound bites anymore. But I could read you just fucking sound bite after sound bite after sound bite of lefties just saying she is the end-all be-all and literal I, I, i'm not lying there was literal sound bites of them saying she's not liberal enough that that's what they said you know on the heels of kavanaugh we know they'll go to any depths lie make things up i mean it's just what they do i mean it I don't understand. I I know it, it. I know some of it has to do with abortion. I mean, these people just are. It's hard to fucking 
it's hard to understand how somebody could be so fucking obsessed with abortion. I mean, it's what they're into. I, I, I literally can't not run into sound bites like this. I'm sitting in my car crying right now over the loss of more lives, and this is what is about to drive past me. I'm like shook right now. Oh, there's another one. Another one coming. There's a parade of them. I'm shaking. What is what is wrong with people? These are human beings. These are lives. Shook. I'm fucking shook. I don't. I, what is enough? What is enough? What is enough? <laughs> and because I run into these sound bites all the freaking time. The next soundbite makes total sense to me because we've made up a story about handmaids and now we're going after fucking kids. With a Senate confirmation, the scales in the Supreme Court will tip six to three in the conservatives' favor and the White House is signaling right now, as far as the nominees are concerned, the more conservative, the better. Sources say it's down to federal judges Amy Coney Barrett and Barbara Lagoa and that Barrett is the apparent frontrunner a devout Catholic who clerked for the conservative justice Antonin Scalia. Barrett is supported by religious conservatives and anti-abortion activists. Pro-choice groups have raised concerns over how Barrett would vote on abortion issues. Planned Parenthood condemned the judge's nomination to the federal bench. Also under the microscope, Barrett's linked to a small charismatic Christian community called People of Praise. According to its website, many of its members choose to make a lifetime commitment to the community, a covenant. Members are assigned a personal advisor. Men were called heads and women were called handmaids. But those titles since changed to leaders. Amid speculation, the group may have inspired the novel and Emmy award-winning drama, The Handmaid's Tale. Is this what freedom looks like? But Arthur Margaret Atwood saying that's not accurate, telling ABC News there were several inspirations. Been communicating over the last 20 minutes, um, Senator Schumer, a vote for Judge Amy Coney Barrett is a vote to eliminate health care. Um, Senator Blumenthal, I will oppose the confirmation of Judge um, Amy Coney Barrett. But something else that MSNBC had up on the screen, if you're watching this and not listening on Sirius in, in your car, I'll, I'll share it with you, um, that when Judge Barrett was in the uh, under scrutiny for, for her last appointment, um, information came out about her time and her relationship with a Christian organization called People of Praise. Now, this is some of what we know about that group and some of what was scrutinized last time she was evaluated. Members of the group People of Praise swear a lifelong oath of loyalty called a covenant to one another and are assigned and are held accountable to a personal advisor called a head for men and a handmaid for women. The group teaches that husbands are the heads of their wives and should take authority 
over the family. Because of the rush that Donald Trump feels, Neil Katyal, because of the way this process is so condensed, these sorts of things become part of our coverage even on the day of a ceremony in the Rose Garden. What do you think the line of questioning will be about that association? Well, I think that the rush to confirm someone is itself going to be a problem. Um, and, you know, by all accounts, uh, she's um, uh, she's a qualified nominee in the sense of, you know, uh, being uh, steeped in the law and all of that. But, you know, you normally have a long vet to make sure that there isn't anything in anyone's background. This has all been rushed so much that there hasn't been that with respect to the specific thing about this organization. But apparently the pick is going to be this Omi, Omi, Amy Comey, <laughs> who will be saying this name a lot, I'm sure, because she's a fucking nut. Religion. I was right about that one, too. Amy, <laughs> sorry, but Amy Comey Barrett, Catholic, really Catholic. I mean really, really Catholic, like speaking in tongues. Like, she doesn't believe in condoms, which is what she has in common with Trump, because he doesn't either. I remember that from Stormy Daniels. Next up, the impeached loser of the 2016 popular vote will name his third Supreme Court, Supreme Court pick later today. Ellie Massal has some thoughts about that next, so you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Confirmation hearings don't matter. And the reason why I know that is because a couple of years ago, I saw the Republicans push through an alleged attempted rapist without an investigation. I saw that happen in my lifetime. And if that doesn't stop a Supreme Court justice, then nothing stops a Supreme Court justice. I say that Judge uh, Brett Kavanaugh was never charged or never convicted uh, of rape, but I encourage people to watch the testimony of Christine Blasey Ford and watch his own testimony and inform your, your own opinion there. But I want to get to Amy Coney Barrett, because I'll tell you, I have talked to people on the bench. I've asked people who know her uh, about her, and a lot of people say she's very charming. She's very disarming. And we saw some of that with her first confirmation hearing, even with that face-off with her and uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein. But to the folks who've had their rights infringed upon, we know how to recognize a wolf in sheep's clothing. Look, Diane Feinstein's comment that has gone viral, that has made Amy Coney Barrett a star, was an error, an unforced error. Because the problem is not that Amy Coney Barrett is particularly Catholic. The problem is that she's a hypocrite, not devoutly Catholic, to uh, apply the death penalty, which Amy Coney Barrett has written that a good Catholic judge should recuse themselves from situations implying the death penalty. But she has not written, and here's the, you know, the elephant in the room, she has not written that a good Catholic judge should recuse themselves on issues involving abortion or a woman's right to choose. So what we're left with is a hypocrite who will insert her judicial opinion between a woman and a woman's doctor, but will not insert her moral opinion between an executioner and the prisoner on the chopping block. Now, that kind of hypocrisy is something that I can't deal with. Well, I, I want to say, Ellie, you wrote very detailed about this in The Nation. I read your piece this morning. It got me all fired up this morning uh, to be prepared to have this conversation. R quickly, before I let you go, um, I just want to say in your piece that you point out some things that she has said. And I want to remind people when Justice Sonia Sotomayor said that she would hope that a wise Latina woman with the richness of her experience would more often than not reach a better conclusion than a white male who hasn't lived that life. The right went crazy. But we have seen no such outrage. 
outrage for uh, this potential nominee in Judge Amy Comey Barrett talking about her Catholic belief. I wonder why that. Rev, I want to ask you what you heard when Donald Trump talked about what he expected from Amy Coney Barrett. He made clear from the podium of the White House Rose Garden with the attorney general and many of the senators that Claire just mentioned that he expects a justice who will uphold our heritage. We all know what that means. And our Second Amendment rights. How do you think that Donald Trump's branding of Amy Coney Barrett as someone who will uphold our heritage and our Second Amendment rights impacts the confirmation process? I took very serious note of him saying our heritage. Uh, what is he talking about there? And a clear uh, signal from this president of uh, him seeing the heritage of this country a lot different than many of us uh, that see the heritage of this, of this country quite differently. That that was the least diverse audience I've ever seen an announcement like this made <laughs> in my life. I looked around. I was glad her two kids did come out because I couldn't find too many other people of color in that audience. I mean, I, putting it back to back is it, so shocking how they act. And it starts with Doug Hooley. So here's a question. Does the press even investigate details of Barrett's adoption? Some adoptions from Haney were legit. Many were sketchy as hell. And if press learned they were unethical and maybe illegal adoptions, would they report it or not because it involves her children? As an adoption, I need to know more about the circumstances of how Amy Comey Barrett came to adopt her children and the treatment of them since. Transracial adoption is fraught with trauma and potential for harm, and everything I see here is deeply concerning. Yeah. The, that is uh, John Lee Broughter. Because that's just what a normal person does. Tim Heisenkamp, here's what Amy Coney Barrett can expect from Joe Biden and his leftist allies. Character assassination, personal attacks. Sean Davis, this is who Democrats are. They're already angling to destroy a Christian woman for adopting children. Chris Curtis Hoke, it's already starting, folks. Gang rape to illeg illegitimate children. Ibrahim X. Kendi starts us off with it's not only wrong or could be an illegal adoption, it's racist. Some white colonizers, this is a real fucking tweet, adopted black children. They civilized these savages, children in the superior ways of white people, while using them as props in their lifelong picture denial, while cutting the biological parents of these children out of the picture of humanity. First reply, what the fuck is wrong with you? I ask anybody, could you say that? Could you say that about anybody? Could you? I don't think you could. Jonathan Chait rushes in. I the original claim by Jenneth Beth Marbins, ACB's interracial adopter, proves she isn't racist. Candy's replies, no, sometimes racists adopt black children. Candy's critic, he's saying ACB is racist because she adopts black children. This is a basic logic error by Candy's critics. He is simply denying the syllogism the syllogism that if you adopt a black child, then B, you cannot be racist. That is not the same as calling her racist. That's your defense of basically saying because she adopted black kids, 
They could be racist. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, let, let's think about that for a second. I mean, you knew it was coming. This isn't a new thing. It's not what the left say. You know, those kids are just supposed to sit there in their fucking house sucking but you know buttermilk with no love because why would we let white people adopt black kids they they can't be raised correctly because white people are all fucking racist pieces of shit it's better for a kid to go a whole life without family than to have white parents it's the same theory as oh well we really shouldn't let white kids wear black panther outfits because, you know, that's taken away from a black kid wearing a black panther outfit. You fucking people. Of of Cubs. I'm going to be completely honest. Maybe this was naive of me, but I did not see Amy ACB kidnapped her children from Haiti coming. They deleted all this, except for Kendi X, because he doesn't have to. He can just be an outright racist. Siobhan, it is reprehensible to focus on their adoption. How damaging the children to hear the details in public, and I'm confident at least some of what is reported is false. The Hague Convention, which has been in place for 20 years, was to ensure legitimate adoptions. Typical Karen, just when I thought, surely they can't seek lower than labeling someone a high school gang rapist, they proved me wrong. Why do I continue to be surprised at how low TDS afflicted people stoop to? My God, this is horrid allegation to lob out there. Brad Slager, this is the Democratic operative who dares mention Haiti in reference to anyone besides the Clintons. Too hilariously obvious. And and he nails it, because if you really want to break it down, Remember all that fucking money from the fucking Clintons that nobody could account for? Did anybody say, hey, they're fucking racist? No. No, we didn't do that. We wouldn't dare do that in the media. Others. The Lib has questions on two kids. Judge Amy Connie Barrett adopted from Haiti. I would love to know which adoption agency ACB and her husband used to adopt two children they brought from Haiti. This is the Daniel Hool guy. He went on to like five more. Not doing it. But then they even went lower. I mean, you, you wouldn't think they could go lower, but this is the left. They're all about power. It's all about abortion. So let's make sure we just lose our fucking mind over this shit. And it goes a little something like this. Vanessa Grigorius. I guess one of the things I don't understand about Amy Comey Barrett is how a potential Supreme Court justice can also be loving present mom to seven kids. Is this like the Kardashians stuffing nannies in the closet and pretending they've drawn their own baths for the kids? And if there aren't enough hours in the day for her to work and mother those kids when she portrays herself as a home-centered Catholic, who puts family over career? Isn't she telling a lie? Replies, I'm pro-choice, except when women make choices I don't want. Other person, I'm pro-choice, except for Republicans. Callie girl, I can't remember the last time this question was posted to a male nominee. Either you're extremely jealous she's able to maintain homework balance, or you're insecure as fuck. 
thank you. I see this over and over again that a man is not questioned about how he's able to be successful when he has children at home. Getting sick of it. Her Twitter line, um, this whole press conference is a display of ACB weaponizing her white woman head to grab whatever power managed to slip through the cracks in the Trump administration unrelenting misogyny. Trump and Barnett using her black children and child with Down syndrome for some political points isn't surprising, but it's no less appalling. CNN keeps going on and on about Barrett's family as if that makes her qualified to serve on Supreme Court and her whopping three years as a Trump-appointed judge as a, if that's not enough to qualify her for a lifetime on the Supreme Court. And it just shows. But simultaneously, on their side of the aisle, she was our prophet, our North Star, our strength, says a rabbi. Today, she makes history again as the first woman and the first Jewish woman to lie in state. Today, we stand in sorrow, and tomorrow, we the people must carry on Justice Ginsburg's legacy. Even as our hearts are breaking, we must rise with her strength and move forward. She was our prophet our North Star, our strength, for so very long. Now she must be permitted to rest after toiling so hard for every single one of us. May the memory of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Yita Ruchol Batsirolea, forever and ever be a blessing. These are the people that literally have action figure fucking dolls. SNL did skits of RGB or RBG or whatever the fuck. But as CBS did this, Amy Connor Barrett, one of Trump's frontrunners replacing Ruth Bader Ginsburg, spoke with CBSN in February after Scalini's, uh, Scalini's death. She cautioned about replacing Scalia in election year with someone who could dramatically flip the balance of power. But CBS left out the part where she didn't caution anyone about this. She was describing the multiple scenarios throughout the history where SCOTUS vacancy comes up in election year and said they could be this, this, and this. And, of course, CBS omitted the full remarks. President has the power to nominate and the Senate has the power to act or not. George Bonilla, ACB, did not, in fact, caution. She just talked it, talked it, talked about the scenarios and defaulted to the Constitution. Chris Hayes, the key to conservatism is a combination of power with a viscerally felt sense of persecution. It's the engine of the whole thing. It's why Trump is a perfect avatar. We will hear endlessly about how prosecuted conservatives are as they seize a 6-3 majority on the Supreme Court. Molly, the courage it takes someone to accept a Supreme Court nomination for President Trump, knowing that the media and other partisans will do an attempt to destroy you, your life, your family, is just staggering to contemplate. That's what he responded to. So Molly Hemingway went after him. It, it is not just that the media and other people on the left did what they did to destroy, destroy Kavanaugh's life, family, and reputation. It's also that they refuse any accountability for it and claim they're imagine, we're just imagining it happened. Another person. You ran stories about a literal choir boy being the ringleader in a high school gang rape. Becca. 
gaslighting on top of other gaslighting also sees as it confirms through the proper constitutional process sees otherwise and heretofore known as constitutionally appoint and confirm Joe Scarborough Amy ACB opposed Garrick Garland's nomination it came in the same year as a presidential election and she said the nomination could go through because Scalia would be replaced by someone who would dramatically flip the balance of the court and the whole world goes Joe you're fucking lying because it's the same line of thinking somebody else came up and as Joe is twiddling his dick he just fucking popped it out because I'm Joe I used to be a conservative Curtis Huck Two things going on in this clip. One, Schumer can't even read his notes because it's too dark for him. Two, he says Ginsburg turning over in her grave up in heaven. What I leave out, Angelo? Not much. It's kind of dark. Yep, we'll take two. Let's see here. Judge Ginsburg had a dying wish that the next president choose. Justice Ginsburg must be turning her over in her grave up at heaven to see that the person they chose seems to be intent on undoing all the things that Ginsburg did. I will strongly, strongly, strongly oppose this nomination. And you know, this kind of fell in somebody's timeline. I don't know. I don't know if somebody sent it to me or what, but we keep talking about dying wishes and she's rolling over in grave. Well, here's a dying wish that didn't make the news of a man that's about to die of a terminal illness, and he wanted to talk to Trump, so Trump called him. I, I plan on coming down to D.C. between now and my expiration date, so whatever. Either way. You uh, don't even talk about expiration dates. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm, no, no, no. You'll be, you'll be surprised. You know, you'll be, I know my people. You're going to be surprised. I just sent you a little note, too. I wrote out a little Yeah, Mr. President, I, I, through thick and thin, you know, there's been a lot of thicks, right. and there's been a lot of thins. Right. I, I support you. That won't make the five o'clock. It would if he was a liberal, but no. Richard Blumenthal, we refuse to treat this process legitimate. I will not meet with Judge Amy Connie Barrett. Czar Beckett Adams. What is illegitimate about it? Does the president not have the power to nominate? Do you not have the power to consent? It's illegitimate in the same way the smears Kavanaugh were credible and the nightly riots over the last four months are mostly peaceful. Another person, Dick, how fitting. As a U.S. Senator, apparently is unaware of the process and procedure of the U.S. Constitution. Kelb Hole. Supposed to be Caleb Hole. I have never bought a t- shirt faster in my life. First, the woman takes Ruth Bader Ginsburg's Supreme Court seat. Now she's taking her slogan. Chris D. Jackson. Calling this woman ACB makes me sick. She will never be RBG. People's response. That's the whole idea, sport. She actually appears to be better qualified and more highly regarded than Ruth Bader Gisberg.
So there you have it. We're in the process, and it'll be the same as Kavanaugh. We will disparage a woman, all the women's stuff that we would have heard, and we did here under Kagan and Sotomayor, who were really hugely partisan. They worked for damn groups before they became circuit judges and shit. It's all thrown out the window. Because, remember, the rules only apply for liberals. If you're a conservative black man, you're nobody. As we head out, that's what the soundbite we're going to play. You'll then hear a montage of uh, CNN, only 20% of the country approve of banning abortion. Yeah, that's bullshit. You'll hear uh, two sound bites with uh, uh, CNN and ABC, CBS about uh, fucking COVID. I got to do some COVID. You'll hear the bump and we'll come into our violent left. And yeah, we're, we're still having violence. As I laid there and I thought about him saying he's a black man, I thought about the ships that went into Fort Monroe and Jamestown with our people on them over 400 years ago. And how there were also black men on those ships that were responsible for bringing our people over here. Daniel Cameron is no different than the sellout Negroes that sold our people into slavery and helped white men to capture our people, to abuse them and to traffic them Mm. while our women were raped, Mm. while our men were raped by savages. Mm. That is who you are, Daniel Cameron. You are a coward, Mm -hmm. you are a sellout, and you were used by the system to harm your own mama, your own black mama. We have no respect for you, no respect for your black skin, because all of our skin folk ain't our kin folk, and you do not belong to black people at all. We learned that on the same exact day that this announcement came out, it was the day that in September of, I forget the year, 1955, 65, no, 1955, which was 65 years ago. President Trump is now threatening to overrule the FDA if he doesn't approve of the FDA's tougher guidelines on a potential vaccine. Dr. Anthony Fauci saying tonight, I would back the scientists. And now the states this evening where they say they'll have their own review of the vaccine. After touting a coronavirus vaccine by Election Day, President Trump is now threatening to reject stricter safety standards that could slow down its release, once again undermining his own health officials. Mr. Trump also made controversial remarks about the FDA considering stricter standards to authorize the use of a COVID-19 vaccine, claiming he could override scientists. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo doubted the administration's credibility and said his state is forming its own committee to review and distribute a vaccine. The FDA declined to comment on the president's threat, but just hours earlier testifying on Capitol Hill, the FDA commissioner was adamant they are being guided by science, not politics. With concerns that the White House is increasingly injecting politics into the pandemic response, New York today announced it's going to conduct its own review of any vaccine. And Americans are growing increasingly skeptical about all this. 
Some live pictures coming in from Middletown, Pennsylvania. The president is going to be heading there in a little while to do another pep rally. You see a huge crowd already gathered over there. Uh, once again, not much social distancing, not much uh, a mass, uh, at least uh, as far as we can see over there. Jeremy Diamond, you're still in the Rose Garden for us. Uh, we didn't see many mass or a lot of social distancing in the Rose Garden where you are either, did we? No, we certainly did not, Wolf. Uh, and it was really a who's who of the president's conservative supporters. Uh, we, we saw several of them actually enter with the mask, but as soon as they were among the crowd, uh, they took them off. Uh, and we even saw Dr. Scott Atlas, the president's uh, coronavirus advisor, who, of course, is not an expert in immunology or in infectious diseases, but has become uh, certainly has the president's ear on these matters. He was also milling about uh, without a mask. It was a very moving Powerful ceremony in the Rose Garden. Lots of people there, and once again, very few of them wearing masks, uh, and they were pretty crowded together. We saw a nice crowd, people sitting in the Rose Garden, very close together, very few of them wearing masks. Alex Azar, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, I saw he did put on his mask. Uh, others did not. Uh, were, were everyone in the Rose Garden, were they tested for coronavirus before allowed in? Because they all got pretty close to each other, and uh, several of them got pretty close to the president. But most of the people in the audience today were not tested and uh, many of them uh, arrived with masks on some of them took the masks off as as they actually took their seats and began mingling with others if it is really remarkable we need to remind people we are still in the middle of this pandemic this is the health and human services secretary alex azar just a few days ago uh, he was on cnbc and you see behind him on the uh, uh, hhs screen uh, there's the words beat the virus wear a mask uh, now, this is him today in the Rose Garden. Uh, he put on a mask briefly, but then he was walking around. You see him in the middle of your screen there. Uh, no mask, uh, shaking, fist bumping. Uh, it was very close quarters. Uh, it's hard to understand uh, what he was encouraging mask use, saying uh, it's so, so important just a couple days ago. And then we see him in the Rose Garden not wearing this mask. Uh, and we know that wearing a mask will save thousands and thousands of lives. Poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reid. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. While the media calls it peaceful... We call it the violent left. I, I, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. Maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there is unrest in our lives. Enemies of the state. Show me where it says that protest is supposed to be polite and peaceful. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless. When they go low, he kicks. How do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? The biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized, right up to the right. I thought he should have punched him in the face. So even if you lost, he insulted your wife. Yes. He came down the escalator and thought Mexicans rape us and murder. He said, well, what do you think I should have done? I said, I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. Yeah. You would have been a hero. I'd like to punch him in the face. I said, if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Punch some people in the face! When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? They're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump, and that's a fact. The country 
is right wing. Most of them radicalized right up to the right. All punches are not equal morally. And please show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Be careful. Always, you know, I hear these talking about defund the police and things like that. We need police reform and prison reform and things like that. Because you know who ain't going to defund the cops? White neighborhoods and rich neighborhoods. So that notion they keep saying that, I'm like, wait a minute, we just going to leave. Who, who are black people supposed to call? Ghostbusters? When we have crime in our neighborhoods, we need police reform. But like I say, white people, especially rich white people, they're always going to have cops. So we need to stop that defund or embolish the cops crap. Yeah, Charles Barkley's not going to get invited to the BET Awards for that kind of shit. Before we get into what's really going on, um, I, I got to play these sound bites. Um, the first one is Nancy Pelosi. Tell me this is trying to tampen down civil unrest. Today we had the heartbreaking report, the news breaking that Justice was denied with Breonna Taylor, Breonna Taylor and her family. Just think if it were your daughter, your sister, your cousin, your relative, your friend, who was murdered by the police, and there was no the charging decision held no one accountable for her death. In June, the House passed the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, uh, to bring accountability to our justice system, I call upon the Senate to vote upon it immediately. We owe it to Breonna Taylor, to George Floyd, Philando Castile, and so many others. To so many others. A provisions in the, in the bill would have prevented this from happening. With all the respect in the world for our men and women in blue, they have to, there has to be respect for our police, but respect for uh, doing the job in a way that has justice for all. I was told by a under cameraman the other day that in the black community there's a saying, justice, not just us. And so we don't want there to be two systems of justice. One of the highest positions of power in our country, and that's what she does. Then you understand because they're all the same cabal. Here's CNN calling for a civil war. CNN making up quotes that Trump said that he didn't. Jeff Daniels calling for war. And another one where they're literally saying that it'll take the military to get rid of Trump. Uh, I found it stunning and surprising, Anderson. You know, I, I began my career as a journalist covering Lebanon's second civil war in its history. And I'm terrified to find myself ending my career as a journalist covering America's potential second civil war in its history. You really believe that? Yeah, I I think what happened in the last few days um, is a six alarm fire. I think it's DEFCON 5. The president of the United States has told us either I win the election or I delegitimize the election. Those are your choices, folks. And he basically is trying to break people's will to really get people to say, what the heck, <laughs> he wants it so bad, just, you just give it to him. Um, I, I think this is, this is certainly the most frightening moment in my life. Um, it's frightening because of him. 
It's frightening because he's backed by a state-owned network. Um, and it's terrifying because the Republican Party has become basically a political brothel that rents itself out um, by the night to whoever will energize its base, uh, whether it was Sarah Palin or the Tea Party and now Trump. Um, this is a party that went into its convention with no platform, no platform, basically said, whatever Trump wants, we want. Uh, and and I, I, if you're not frightened now, if you are not terrified for what could happen, it's not we might have a disputed election. Uh, it is we are going to have a disputed election, uh, almost certainly, unless Trump wins, uh, in which case um, uh, I, I shudder to think what four more years of this. I agree with Bakari, by the way. I think we will have a peaceful transition, and Why? that's what's going to happen. Why do you think that, Scott, when the president of the United States is saying it's conditional? Because the president of the United States uh, does not have the ability to just upend um, you know, uh, all the tradition and history we have in this country of a peaceful transition of power. I don't. But, but he does, uh, I just, Scott. I but just, I just, I want you to help everybody. I think feel the weight better. of our institutions and the weight of the momentum yeah. of our democracy would prevent it. Who's going to stop him? Who's going to stop him? The secret, Scott? The, the, I mean, the secret service. Yeah, but I'm I mean, talking about what he's. Do, but what he's doing is ginning up his supporters. He's not. He's not saying that he's activating the military. He's ginning up his um, ardent supporters to go out into the streets. That's why Brian Karam says there's rioting in the streets. And the president says, well, get rid of the ballots and then it'll be peaceful. He likes the rioting in the streets is what he's saying. Jeff, did you have any hesitations about releasing something so politically charged, focused on the sitting president in the throes of the election? No, I, I, I wanted this, uh, and I think everyone involved, including many at Showtime and CBS, wanted this to be part of the national conversation. People who are not pro-Trump, uh, certainly Democrats, have always been compassionate and generous and try to find the goodness in others. And there are Republicans who do too. Not many, but they're out there. Um, but this is not a time to be nice and hope people come around. This is a time to, to this, is a, this is a political war. And people need to wake up. They need to wake up. If you care about yep. your country, if you care about decency and truth and justice and having a leader who can, you can trust to do what's right for everyone. You know, nothing, nothing less than democracy is at stake here. I wonder if people understand the severity of the situation that we're Tonight, President Trump's unprecedented attack on America's election. The president again today casting doubt on the legitimacy of the upcoming vote after refusing to commit to a peaceful transfer of power if he loses to Joe Biden. The president also cast doubt on the peaceful transfer of power after Election Day. The president today pressed on his stunning claims. In a year and a season where shock is hardly in short supply, what may be among the most stunning words spoken by an American president are loudly resonating tonight. President Trump's refusal to commit to a peaceful transfer of power should he lose the election. The president dangling doubt over one of the most powerful rights of American democracy. With the election just 40 days away, President Trump trailing Joe Biden in most polls is bulldozing one of the fundamental principles of American democracy. Down in battleground state polls tonight, President Trump says he's not sure this year's 
election will be honest. And he's falsely claiming tonight that mail-in voting is a whole big scam. Well, the president's new attack on the integrity of the election comes just one day after he refused to commit to a peaceful transition of power if he loses in November. The president making news when he refused to say that there would be a peaceful transfer of power after the election here in the U.S. He was pressed on this again. The White House press secretary said President Trump would accept the results of a free and fair election, but the president himself would not say that, fueling concerns that he will not relinquish power even if he loses. Mr. Trump wants to fill her seat by election day, predicting whoever it is will help determine the result, which he argued may not be accurate because of ballot fraud. Today we put the question directly to the president's press secretary. A very direct and very simple question. If the president loses this election, will this White House, will this president assure us that there will be a peaceful transfer of power? It's a very simple question. The, the, president, since, uh, the president will accept the results of a free and fair then we have msdnc uh the systems designed to hurt minorities and pbs pbs basically saying uh the american people hate the gop the problem that we have here is that the system is working the way it's designed to work which puts black people which puts latinos which puts native americans at very high risk of being killed. And this is the problem. It's working the way it's supposed to. So they create a situation in which, by any means necessary, they can go (laughs) after people who are black, and it doesn't matter what their Fourth Amendment rights are. And that's what we have to fix. So, so Maya, uh, let me ask you this question. This, This is from a New York Times article, an investigative piece. Uh, and uh, I'm quoting it here. Judge Mary Shaw, who signed the order, said she had asked needed questions of the officer, reviewed the affidavits, prepared each warrant, and subsequently made the probable cause determination required by law. The warrant cited five pieces of information establishing what the police said was probable cause. Mr. Glover's car making repeated trips between the, 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 the trap house where the drugs were and Mrs. Taylor's home. Her car's appearance in front of 2424 Elliott, that house, on multiple occasions. Surveillance of footage of him leaving her apartment with a package in mid-January. A postal inspector's confirmation that Mr. Glover had used her address to receive parcels. And database searches indicating that as late as February, he listed her apartment as a home address. And, of course, it was a very extensive um, very extensive uh, surveillance operation and drug operation for some time. And when they went into the three other houses they were looking at, they, in fact, uh, let me read from the Times again. Um, they they did, in fact, uh, find the swarm of officers beat down the doors uh, and without incident, recovering large quantities of crack and fentanyl pills in a bag hidden in a tree, as well as cash, digital scales and guns. They also found signs of attempts to get rid of the evidence, cocaine flushed in the toilet, according to police evidence, logs and summaries. Mr. Glover and four others were arrested and taken to jail. Um, I'm curious uh, because it seems to me that based on the judges and nothing compared to the number of judges you've worked before, but most judges that I went before in my limited time uh, in 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 courts would have probably signed 
probable cause uh, warrants for these police officers to go to the to go to this house, uh, given also that they had recordings between um, Brianna's boyfriend and her. So do you think the probable cause warrant uh, was improperly signed over to the police officers? Do you think that the judges that you worked before in the Southern District of New York would have signed such warrants and found probable cause in this case? Yeah, you're, it's an important question because the issue is how easy is it to get a warrant and what the officers told the judge and how and to what extent did it justify this? Remember that it started as a no-knock warrant, and then because she had no criminal record, because there were real questions here, they, they actually changed it to a knock and a now. That tells you something. It also tells us that we need to know more, because as I said, there were indications the Postal Service inspectors said they didn't think they were suspicious. Senator, I know you're saying now it's different because you have a president and a majority in the Senate being the same party. But it looks to the American people, to many people, as if what's the only thing that's changed here is political party, that political party takes precedence over everything. Well, there's a materialistic difference between 2016 and 2020, and it's that the president and the Senate is of the same party. And then you take a look at what happened in 2018, where there wasn't a presidential election in place, but with the, the Kavanaugh nomination and the meat grinder that the Democrats put him through, what we saw after that is the voters decided we needed more Republicans in the Senate, and we actually picked up two seats. And I will tell you, Judy, if the shoe were on the other foot, the Democrats would be trying right now, if there was a Democrat Senate and a Democrat president, to fill this vacancy. Right now, it is the choice of the Republicans. And again, I mean, for the American people looking at this, it looks as if, you know, there Washington goes again. It's all about political party over country. Any questions why we have violence in the streets? I mean, this is our media. This is our fucking media. From Todd in Oregon, I got this video of what Portland looks like. All right, guys. Hey. This is a little bit of a different type of video. Um, you guys know that I live in Portland, Oregon, or kind of just outside downtown Portland, Oregon. And uh, Portland, Oregon has been in the news uh, over the last few months for a lot of, like, um, protests and riots that have been going on for over 100 days throughout the entire summer in downtown Portland. And um, I always have a hard time, like, kind of trusting, like, the media and knowing exactly what is true and what is skewed and being, like, a, a person that edits videos uh, himself, I, could, I know how the media can really uh, paint something in a certain way, like just with certain edits or choosing certain shots. So like, I really have a hard time trusting what I see. Uh, so I just wanted to go to downtown Portland myself and see what it was like. Um, so that's what I did. I went with two of my brothers. We just kind of drove through downtown Portland to see uh, what it looked like. Like, is it really as bad as, uh, it, it seems. And, uh, I'll just let you guys, uh, you know, make your own judgments. This is just footage that I shot throughout downtown Portland. I shot it in slow motion, not to romanticize anything, just simply to make it easier to see and read the stuff and, and see it clear. So that's why I shot it like that. Basically right when you get into downtown, uh, 
it's all over the place. Like the entire area of downtown Portland. Like, it's not like we had to go and find uh, this stuff. It was basically every street, everywhere you looked, this is what the city looks like. Um, so, yeah. So, guys, I just want to give you a clear, honest, true image, not to skewed or biased with any agenda. Just this is what the city of Portland, Oregon actually looks like right now. So make of that what you will. And uh, Oregon's also got some insane, insane wildfires right now. Um, maybe I'll talk about that in, a, in another video, uh, which is also pretty scary. So, you know, if you like look at the news right now, Oregon is just not, doesn't seem good. So, yeah, guys, make of that what you will. All right? Have a good day. It's destroyed. I know it doesn't work as well when you're doing it this way, but it's just fucking destroyed. I mean, I I can't even articulate how bad it is and how the media has just ignored it because, you know, it doesn't fit the narrative. Got to own Trump. And simultaneously all over the country... We keep getting these videos of cars being surrounded and harassed over and over and over. Um, I don't know the first one, but the second one you're here is from L.A. The white Prius similarly was attacked by several protesters who pried his door open and punched him several times uh, while he was inside of his Prius. He stepped on the gas to try and escape from that attack and may or may not have struck one of the protesters. We have not located a victim yet of that crime if there was one, but we do know uh, that we have also identified the driver of that Prius so we can locate him to continue that investigation. Okay, so far not... Stay by. Stay by. just happened so fast it was right after i finished my report there was that little white prius that tried to go through the the, the intersection they were kind of bumping up 
against some of the protesters, just, just kind of, they definitely weren't trying to, to hit the protesters, they were just trying to squeeze by. A white Prius and now a bunch of, of, of the uh, demonstrators are trying to catch up to him, including that black uh, pickup that has been leading the pack. He's cutting him off. They have, have the driver pretty much boxed in. One of the demonstrators is now trying to pull the driver out of his vehicle. Right there just collided with another car that was also part of the demonstration. And an, an additional person getting out. And you see that one person using what looks like a flag, perhaps a skateboard there, to damage this Prius. And now the driver is able to get away. Every time I go on to Twitter, I'm going to see a business owner trying to defend their stuff and being assaulted. And this person's a POC. And then you hear a great little segment. This is constantly a black police officer with white skinny jean, chai latte drinking fuckheads being racist as shit.
And lastly, not for the 10th time, maybe the 30th time, here are whites being kicked out of a church and harassed by BLM because they want equality and shit. Can we say get the fuck out of here? Get the fuck out! All you white motherfuckers leave! All you white motherfuckers leave! You heard what the fuck I said, nigga? I will beat your ass for real fuck. Get the fuck out of shit! Y'all got to fucking go. Crenshaw is just the man. God, he is just the man. Which takes us to our funniest clip of the day. It's another one of those men have periods. Um, you need to educate yourself. Um, men can get whatever they want to get. If a man wants to get a period, he can knock himself out. Periods are for everybody. They aren't, like, sexist. Whenever a video starts with a young kid saying you need to educate yourself, everything after it is just like the butt thing. You're great, but, yeah, just don't listen. Which brings us to our This Is American. This guy is supposed to be... A 47-year politician, a moderate, a person we're supposed to be turning to because Trump is so fucking extreme. And even he can't stop being a liberal with the Nazi references. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. The president does spend a lot of time talking. One of the things he says over and over is that you will push a socialist agenda. You've said it very clearly. You are not a socialist, and you actually have a record to prove that you're not. But what the president does, he says you are. He says it twice as often and twice as loud. How do you combat that lie when he keeps pushing it and some voters start to believe it? Well, um, I'm not sure... Anybody that hadn't already made up their mind there for Trump believes, but who knows? But that's, you know, he's sort of like Goebbels. You say the lie long enough, keep repeating, repeating, repeating. It becomes common knowledge, they think. Look, the other week I was too moderate, remember. I was too tough. and now- It always comes back to Nazism. And you think by now, a guy like that who's so close to being the president wouldn't dig into that bag. He'd be an adult and go... Well, the president's incorrect because he's supposed to be the adult, right? Trump's the fucking jackass. Biden's the adult. And we're all supposed to be turning to him because he's so good. For me, if you have to use Nazi references, you've lost the fucking argument. You just lost the argument. But since we're dealing with a cult on a level we never had before. And I don't use that as a Nazi reference. I'm saying it as a factual, factual thing. These people bow to the altar of intersectionality that has its own commandments 
Proverbs, the whole nine yards. And in their mind, everybody else is evil for not thinking like them. Everybody's evil if they don't vote like them. So they must be Nazis. And when you have a media as shitty as I've just played for the last two plus hours, who are egging it on, well, he can get away with it. You watch this debate on Tuesday. Trump says anything offline, that will be the narrative. If he attacks him for Hunter, that will be the narrative. If he brings up anything to disparage him or comes up with one of his names, Sleepy Joe or whatever, that'll be the narrative. But the presumed next president of the United States, so saith the media, just references opponent as an SS Nazi. And that was great. I had a clip in there with him totally off track and that piece of shit Stephanie Rule, who once again is brought on every day as a financial consultant, had to get him on track because he didn't know where the fuck he was. He thought he was in the basement. The man hasn't politics. The man hasn't done anything. He's just resting on the fact that they're going to win this election because they're already trying to steal this election. And you can't say that's a conspiracy when he is not in Wisconsin. He's not in Michigan. He's not anywhere. He's in his fucking basement. From bumper stickers to yard steins to people showing up, I just don't see it. But the media and him are pretty fucking confident because something's up. That's why they're fighting the Supreme Court nomination. They want to take it to the Supreme Court and not concede. That's their plan. And that's pretty fucking un-American. So this wraps up another episode of Flavor Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share it with your family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP podcast gmail.com get the show on soundcloud podcast attic tune radio google play itunes blueberry stitcher remember to check out the twitter account at fop tony reed next podcast we're going to shoot for is uh one october year of our lord 2020 we're going to shoot for thursday because we've done a couple between the one we were supposed to do and next wednesday from here to then disconnect from your devices don't give the yeah yeah spend some time with your family tune back in on thursday for another exciting episode as always, thanks for listening. I, I, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. Maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there's unrest in our lives. Enemies of the state. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless. When they go low, be kidding. How do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? Biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. I thought he should have punched him in the face. So even if you lost, he insulted your wife. Yes. He came down the escalator and called Mexicans rapists and murders. He said, well, what do you think I should have done? I said, I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. Mm-hmm. You would have been a hero. I'd like to punch him in the face. I said if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Punch some people in the face! When was the last time an actor assassinated a president?
they're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump. And that's a fact. Look as his character is stabbed to death. Where is John Wilkes Booth when you need him? I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. A Missouri state senator is under investigation by the Secret Service after saying she hopes President Trump is assassinated. I will go and take Trump out tonight. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome. And sadly, the domestic enemies to our voting system and our honoring our Constitution are are right at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. They're not going to stop before Election Day in November, and they're not going to stop after Election Day. And that should be, everyone should take note of that on both levels, that this isn't, they're not going to let up, and they should not. If you think we're rallying now, you ain't seen nothing yet. And part of the challenge we have as a nation is that a significant swath of Americans still support Donald Trump. They support his vision of America, and that is rooted in racism. It is rooted in a desire for power at the expense of everyone who is black and brown. And so what we have in this problem is a a spiritual kind of tyranny of the worst impulses, uh, you know, as uh, Dr. Meacham said, um, you you know, sort of weaponizing narcissism. That will send a shockwave through this country. And Donald Trump may not accept the results, but who gives a shit? Because the rest of the country will be forced to. I'm at the point where I'm ready to put these police to the fucking grave. I'm at the point where I want to burn the fucking White House down. I want to take it to the senators. I want to take it to the Congress. I want to take the fight to them. And at the end of the day, if they ain't going to hear us, we burn them the fuck down.
Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Makes every day count. Thank you.